Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Thinking Inside the Box, The Gauntlet, the podcast of Operations Group at the National Training Center, Fort Irwin, California. I'm your host, Captain Seth Rivetta. The Gauntlet brings you best practices from the Army's experts in combined arms operations. Today, we will be sharing a podcast created by the Panther team. In this episode, Captain John Bolin explains why the National Training Center built a trench in the middle of the Mojave Desert Training Area. He interviews leaders from the 2nd Battalion, 12th Cavalry Regiment, following a successful rotation to find out how they prepared for and conducted the attack on the town. I am Captain John Bolin, also known as Panther 3A. Today we are joined by Thunder Horse 6, the commander of 212 Cav, and Wildcard 6, the commander of 212's Mechanized Infantry Company, following a very successful NTC rotation. And during this rotation, Thunder Horse Battalion had the pleasure of seizing one of NTC's newest objectives, the Barasu Trench. Gentlemen, if you could please introduce yourselves for today's listeners. Lieutenant Colonel Patrick Maris, Thunder Horse 6. Captain Kevin Noriega, Wildcard 6. So everything starts with why. So why did NTC build a trench out in the Mojave Desert? The National Training Center built the Barrisuit Trench to present rotational training units with a problem they will likely face in large-scale combat. Our goal at NTC is to ensure units win the first battle of the next war, and this is done by presenting units with the challenges they are likely to face in that war. Trenches are prevalent. The lethality of indirect fires and armed unmanned aerial systems, cued by manned and unmanned reconnaissance assets combined with traditional direct fires and ATGMs, are forcing armies into the dirt to survive. While trenches often remind us of the First World War, it's important to remember how both sides developed creative combined arms solutions to overcome static warfare then and will again today. To familiarize the audience with the Barisu Trench, allow me to talk you on the target. Barisu is a village in the northeast corner of the National Training Center, which rotational training units typically encounter. Barisu comprises roughly 30 buildings, dominated by a two-story strong point in the south of the town. The Barisu's trench itself is eight feet deep, but it's just wide enough to fit two soldiers abreast. Several machine gun firing positions oriented to the south. The Barisu's trench's proximity to the town it protects. The excellent observation to the south and east and a high ground to the northwest create a complex problem set for the rotational training unit. Black Horse typically put one to two dismounted squads in a trench itself, operating several 50 caliber machine guns in those nests. An additional two to three squads secure Barisu itself. Black Horse typically employs a mine wire obstacle where they place javelins as well as mortars in support of the defending force. Black Horse observation posts and high ground provide early warning as to the rotational training units avenue approach and scheme maneuver. Mounted section of BMPs, BRDMs, and T-90s operating in combat security outposts delay Blue Force movement to the north, and a mechanized force typically stages as a dedicated counterattack force. The complexity of this defense all means that, while the battle within the trench itself may be infantry-centric, the fight to get from the enemy's maximum engagement line to that foothold in the trench is one of combined arms requiring brigade shaping and battalion conditions setting. For today's discussion, we will focus on three major themes. First, the brigade and battalion fight to shape the Barisu Trench and create conditions for Charlie 212's attack at a position of an advantage. Second, Charlie 212's actual attack on Barisu and its trench. And third, how 212 Cav trained for the trench prior to NTC and how they would adjust that train up going forward preparing for large-scale combat. Without further ado, Thunder Horse 6, talk me through your visualization of the Barisu fight and how the brigade and your battalion set conditions for Seaco's successful attack. This was early in the morning on training day three. The same battalion had attacked through Whale Gap, breached and seized Nebron, pushed through Red Lake Pass, and then rebuilt combat power in order to initiate this attack on Barisu. We understood the terrain surrounding 
Barisu, we understood the complex terrain south of Barisu and, and the dominating terrain north of it. We had a decent idea of the conditions that we needed to set at the battalion and brigade level in order to make this successful. Based off of attrition of our forces, we had to do some dynamic retask organization on the morning of TD3 in order to just be flexible on at the breach site. But we were able to do that pretty successfully. As far as the enemy, I think we assessed the enemy on the objective to be a little stronger than what uh, was actually found. And, and we were pretty accurate on what the mechanized force we thought was defending. You know, the, the evening of TD2, we met heavy resistance, us and 2-8 CAV, as we push north through Red Lake Pass, heavy resistance in the vicinity of First Sergeant Wadi, as well as over on Hill 720, which were really the two pieces of terrain that we understood we needed to own in order to push north into to Barisu. Uh, so we fought all night for those pieces of terrain, and I don't think we set those conditions until the middle of the night on TD3, which is where our attack really initiated. Uh, so we were able to push our scouts up into those pieces of terrain. We did gain observation of the objective, and we were able to refine our picture a little bit more for the company and the, the breach force to adjust their plan. To kind of understand the task organization, at the brigade level, 2-8 CAV was providing a tank company along the eastern wall as a support by Alright, force. Our tank companies were seizing 720 to provide isolation from the western side of Barisu. Our breach force was our attached 59th combat engineer company with two sapper platoons and two ABVs. And then the assault force was wildcard. Through the planning of this, we identified the complexity of the objective would require more than one mechanized infantry company. So the brigade attached another mechanized infantry company to in a follow and support role. What ended up occurring was our combat power had been and diminished enough to where we just attached them to us and we sort of maneuvered as a single element instead of a follow and support role. So that was how we actually executed the breach itself. You know, the decision points that we had throughout the operation were really all met previous to isolating and, and uh, breaching the obstacle on the southern side or on the eastern side. They were mostly based off of our combat power, where both my tank companies were down to you know 60% combat power. We had initially assessed that it would only take one tank company to seize 720. It ended up taking two, so it reduced my breach force at the obstacle itself. The 59th Keck ended up being the breach force in its entirety with its sapper platoons and breaching elements, which turned out, uh, I think, better than we had imagined because of the lack of vehicular movement around the breach site would have been too much if we had that tank company with them. So those were kind of the decision points. This turned out to be a little bit more complex than we had initially imagined. The 2-8 CAV tank company met pretty heavy resistance as they pushed up the eastern wall and were attrited, as was Wildcard and the attached infantry company from 2-8. And so we didn't set conditions at the breach as high uh, of combat power as we would have liked to. Our tank companies were able to see 720 and hold it. Uh, overnight, which was kind of the two conditions that we needed to set. Throughout the two or three hours previous to the assault elements LD, we shaped the objective with uh, 155s. At that point, our mortars were not in the fight, so we were really dependent on the batteries for support on the objective, which they did very well, and then switched to obscuration as we prepped to breach. One of the things that, that did occur you know, with the resistance of the support by fire on the eastern wall with uh, 2-8, it just it forced our support force to turn off direct fire onto the objective earlier than what we had planned initially. We knew that we wanted to breach from the eastern side of the objective because the trench was really on the south. We assumed that that would be heavily fortified observation and fields of fire directly to the, the southern side of the 
objective. We were able to achieve that, but w- what it cost was you know the lack of direct fire support from the eastern side of the objective. So we had to turn that support by fire off, orient it north in order to allow the breach force to approach the point of breach there. So that's kind of how we organized it. As far as our intel picture, I thought we went in with, with decent intelligence. You know, our open source collection gave us pretty decent imagery. However, once we got eyes on the objective with our scouts, it did turn out to be a little different than what we had planned on. So I'll let Captain Noriega talk through some of his planning factors and what happened on the objective. And before we transfer, I mean, understanding what you had to achieve with obscuration. I saw Captain Noriega's attack was deliberately held about three kilometers south of Barisu until we had a good billow on that smoke. So absolutely great job achieving that obscuration effect. Also, the obstacle intelligence, I feel like you had a very good idea of exactly where that obstacle belt is and where you were going to conduct your breach and then how that fit into the scheme maneuver. Finally, I commend your battalion for seeing where the trench is oriented to the south and attempting a point of penetration, not at the trench. Attack from the east, don't attack headlong into the enemy. So great job with that, sir. Kevin. Before we talk scheme and maneuver, just dialing it back to the big mass, I think it's called Chiefs Alpha or Bravo to the northwest. That is where I templated majority of the combat power of AT weapon systems, maybe hot threes. And then on the east side, you have that ridge that runs north to south. Additionally, like you alluded to, there's two-story buildings on Barisu. So how I templated the enemy fighting is having AT weapon systems on the high ground for both chiefs and in the urban objective. So this drove the scheme of maneuver, trying to bypass as far as I can move to the east to be out of direct fire of potential enemy AT weapon systems on chiefs and then using the rolling terrain on the east ridge to mask my movement in conjunction to the um, obscuration. Basic schema maneuver templated that the probable line of contact was between two to three clicks from the actual breach point, and then the probable line of deployment. There was a couple IV lines that we were able to mask and to hold our position to allow conditions to be set to move into the breach. But once obscuration was set and it was billowed the scouts were still observing where the obstacle belt was and they basically honed in to a good point of penetration and relayed that over to the company HQ so our task organization even though the engineers were the breach force we had one platoon up front to guide us to that breach point to almost do a recon to the best position because based off of the map and it being period of darkness at the time, we weren't totally sure of the actual composition in totality of the obstacle. So they were able to identify a piece in the obstacle where there were any mines and it was away from the trench. And that was essentially the trigger for the breach force to come in and reduce the obstacle. Moving on to the scheme. So we were able to reduce the obstacle as we were moving our assault force through the obstacle, we were actually fast cammed as we went through on the far side of the breach. So that attributed our force, I believe, to about eight Bradleys, destroyed about a squad and a half element. The intent moving through the breach was to fight one fight at a time. So you have the trench and you have the urban city. So the intent was to move as fast as we could, hugging the east side on the 
the far side, guns orienting at the breach, but moving towards the city. That way we can get as close to the city, dismount and start clearing the city first and then taking care of the trench. Because at the end of the day, for me, the main objective was to seize the city and the trench is just an obstacle in the way of seizing the city. How did you use your Bradley and infantries to neutralize a trench while you were focused on that urban objective first? We set up, after we set up a far side security, we had two different Sosras that we conducted. So after the assault force came in, the task for the first platoon that came in, which was third platoon, was to suppress the trench and then the western portion of the city to allow both other platoons and Cobra Company freedom of maneuver to get as close to the city as possible and then dismount. So having that suppression, the one thing looking back that I wish we had more of is another obscuration target to obscure or screen or cover our movement to get to the city after we got to the breach. But at that time, we had that support by fire on the trench and on the west side of Barasu to allow the rest of the elements to go through. But the two-story buildings, that's where they had the AT weapon systems. By the time we got to the objective, we were down to one Bradley and all the dismounts had already got on ground. And at that point, we started pushing to seize a foothold onto the urban terrain and start clearing east to west. Talk me through, once we controlled the town, how you reoriented on the trench and committed forces in there to clear. After we've cleared and had a strong point on all sides of Barasu, our third platoon, so we were orienting all our fires towards the northwestern side on that high ground because we identified some enemy positions potentially prepping for a counterattack. So our third platoon alongside of, I believe, a squad of Cobra Company pushed down to the trench as the rest of the element held down the urban objective and almost blocked anything from coming into the city that allowed them freedom of maneuver just to focus on the trench itself and clear through the trench. We've got multiple battalions that are involved in this. We're controlling fires. We're controlling direct fires. Is battalion helping you to facilitate some of these targets and the, the, the obscuration? Or what? what is that communication that you had to be able to paint the picture for, for your commander. At the, the battalion levels, 2-8 was the primary observer for the obscuration target because they had the best vantage point. We thought the rounds would fall and where we thought the enemy was defending from. The support force, though, you know, was kind of controlled at the battalion level between 2-8 and 2-12. 2-12 being on 720, 2-8 being in the vicinity of Eastgate, both oriented fires on the objective itself. And we did that through the commanders talking to each other on the brigade net, which I thought went really well. We were able to set those conditions and then one once the breach force was committed, it became a fight at the company level and the fires were oriented off of the objective, which allowed Captain Noriega and the Cobra company to uh, assault the objective. Like uh, Thunder Horse 6 mentioned, getting to the breach was the battalion fight. So all I needed from his end was a, a confirmation of the shift and lift fire. And then that pushed the fight to my end. And then it was me and Cobra 6 communicating on our direct fire control measures that we rehearsed the night prior. For that trench piece itself, executing that battle drill seven, talk me through how much force you committed to it in terms of squads, how you really fought your way into the trench, and then how from outside the trench you were able to maintain like C2, understand where your guys were, how we were shifting support by fire. 
because you did a great job still integrating your Bradleys as a mounted support pipe fire to support that dismounted element in the trench and then isolate the trench itself from any remaining enemy in Barisuit. So talk me through that piece. At that point, the enemy was attributed to probably like a team's worth that was actually at the trench because by us pushing to the city, they oriented their attention and some retrograded back to the actual city. So that allowed four squads, which was the assault element on the trench, freedom a maneuver but at that time like i mentioned we had one or two bradley's left that was suppressing the trench and turned off and turned into almost like a overwatch isolation on the west side of the trench i was c2ing it from the ground and so after we took the city i found a central point to communicate with my other platoons and have overwatch of the trench i mean going through battle drill seven I was able to observe the Moses pole and have the platoon leader relay based off of how we sectioned off the trench. So when we actually planned on clearing through the trench, through the plan, it was sectioned off into trench alpha, trench bravo, and trench charlie. And so once we hit specific phase lines, they radio up. So I'm able to battle track exactly their progress through the trench the entire way. Your company, Wildcard, demonstrated its ability to execute Battle Drill 7. So talk me through how you got there through your collective train-up and if you would change anything to do this again. Actually, late August, we uh, conducted our progression with Squad Sticks and Squad Live Fire. Uh, during Squad Live Fire, we're fortunate to have the ability to do Battle Drill 7 based off of a specific range on Fort Cavazos. We were able to conduct a three-day basically progression for squad live fire going into dry and then going into live. So we spent about three full days in the field with the entire company going through battle drill seven. And then that progressed into platoon live fire. So squad was no Bradley's included. It was just the dismounts. And then we progressed up to platoon live fire, which incorporated Bradley's at that time. So having Bradley's as support by fire into the trench transition transitioning over to a local support by fire with the, the dismounted 240s and then culminating before NTC to do a company Calfex in about March timeframe, same concept. The struggles based off the constraints that we had, as I reflect with, I guess, how we did, we mitigated risk heavily. So we weren't able to get the true reality form of helping the weapon squads or the squad leaders who are on the ground with the 240s and the dismounts maneuvering. We weren't able to show them the reality of what does that 15 degree look like, metal on metal, and actually observing as the maneuver element pushes towards the trench and we shift fire. So based off the constraint of land, it's normally you're shooting towards the trench and then you shift off maybe at like 50 to 60 degrees and you're not really watching the maneuver element going into the trench. So I think that was reflected in our performance based off of not being able to maximize suppression on the trench as much as I wanted. I think it's a habit that was instilled with our training moving forward that we're going to fix. But altogether, we were fortunate to be able to have that land to conduct Battle Drill 7 squad, platoon, and company prior to coming here. So built proficiency. I think we got probably to the 80% solution, but the final refinement 
alignment comes into the fundamental piece of being able to show how to maximize suppression on the trench so that they can understand that you're maximizing suppression to the last second, which is if you're on metal to metal, 15 degrees. So that way the enemy has no ability to affect your maneuver element because you're being suppressed. That's the lesson learned that I have from our train up and as I reflect through our uh, performance at NTC. Gentlemen, I think we've done a very good job just talking through how your battalion and company fought to a position of advantage to seize Barrett's Trench and your collective train up. Before we conclude, I'll ask if you have any parting thoughts either regarding this objective or the NTC experience that you'd like to share. Yeah, I, I think specific to this operation, one of the things that we miscalculated was just the time that it would take as we transitioned out of Red Lake Pass, the time it would take for us to set conditions to seize Barisu. And in that transition, we lost a lot of combat power that we didn't need to lose, just quite frankly, because we were rushing up to set those conditions. Had we transitioned north of Red Lake Pass, rebuilt the combat power that we could and then pushed, we would have made it on the night of TD2 instead of at 04 on the morning of TD3. However, I, I mean, I think across the brigade, we adjusted well and we employed our forces with what we had to be successful. For my end, just moving forward, conducting all these train ups with better GRGs. So actually planning with SDZs and educating squad leaders on how to actually plan for it before we hit the ground. And that will drive our rehearsals a little bit better so that they can first visualize where their TRPs are going to be, and then we can actually do walkthroughs so that they can understand on the ground what they're going to see to have a more successful operation. This has been Thunder Horse Battalion talking through their excellent attack on the Barisu Trench. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, our observer coach trainers are here to assist units. I invite you to look at our Mill Suite page for the latest products from Operations Group and subscribe to our Operations Group Tech Talks on YouTube for short lessons on successful techniques. Thank you for listening to Thinking Inside the Box, The Gauntlet, the podcast of Operations Group at the National Training Center.